As we've been going through Acts, we've been seeing the, the, the birth of this infant church. We've been seeing uh, the characteristics of it, their generosity, their consistency. We've seen their depth and their intimacy. We've seen so much leading up to where we're at. We saw the persecution of Stephen, his, his death after he was chosen as one of the seven to serve tables. And we saw a widespread persecution kind of just, uh, just go forth after his death. And after that, we saw uh, Philip. And this is what we're into right now. The, the ministry that Philip and the Christians throughout the region of Samaria were involved in. And now we pick up the reading in verse 25. It says this, And so, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. And so notice that they were in the regions of Samaria, and now these Christians are trying to make their way back home to Jerusalem. And were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, that's one of the seven, Uh, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. And he arose and went. And behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate uh, his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, and he said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at uh, Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. We'll stop there. Amen. What a, what a miraculous passage. Um, we see things happening here that um, are supernatural. We see people being whisked away out of sight in a moment, in an instant. And uh, this encounter of Philip with this eunuch is a wonderful one. It teaches us a lot about, I think, our stance, our position, our attitude, how we live in response to the voice of God. Now, to say how we live in response to the voice of God, that can be an ambiguous statement, I think, right? Because 
what is the voice of God? I mean, if you ask a hundred people, have you heard God speak before? Um, they'd be, most of them, pretty confused as to, well, what do you mean by that? Do you mean speaking through the Bible? Do you mean speaking in my inner voice? Is something audible? And there can be some confusion or ambiguity to the voice of God. And in our passage here, it's not clear whether it was an audible voice that God spoke to Philip and he says, I want you to go there, or it was an internal one. And for those of you who have followed Christ for some years and have learned how to meditate and quiet yourself down to hear God, you know that God can speak in your heart. That He speaks through the voice of your conscience and it's through that spirit and it gives such a calm, strong voice. And whether it was audible or internal, um, it's up for debate. But what we know here is that Philip received what was heard, whether through his ear or his heart, as direction from God. And how he responds to God is quite key and I think gives us some insight into how we should, in a sense, have a posture before God. Today's message is about being open to being led by God. That if I were to give you these illustrations, that our heart and our schedule needs to be open to God's leading wherever He would lead. And I give you both, that both we need to have room in our hearts and we need to have room in our schedules in order for us to follow God's leading. And I believe this wholeheartedly, that you might think that, oh, I have a heart that wants to follow after God and I've learned how to, to submit myself to Him and I sincerely wholeheartedly want to live my life for His glory. And that, that might be your heart's disposition. That might be something that God has impressed upon you, but that in and itself is very insufficient. Because there is an aspect that can suffocate the condition of your heart. And that is the condition of your schedule. Why do I say that? Some years ago, there were two Princeton psychologists. They conducted a study. And it was a study on the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know that parable, right? There was uh, a man that was robbed and left half dead, just within an inch of his life, and as he was just decaying on the side of a road, there were various folks that walked by, and there were two religious folks, and they all, when seeing him, passed along the other side. But then there was a Samaritan seeing this guy. He helped him and brought him and took care of him. And that story of that good Samaritan was the, the centerpiece of thought of this particular study. And they spoke with a number of seminarians, people who had uh, devoted to, to studying scripture and, and teaching the church and, and leading God's people. And uh, they were going to be given the task of preparing a short talk and then going from that place for where they were gathered to an adjacent building to present the talk. And from that place of where they were at and where they would present it, they would pass by an alley where there would be a man crouched over, uh, groaning and, and really just moaning uh, as he was just there clearly needing help. And he would be directly in sight and uh, in earshot distance of these seminarians passing from the building to the adjacent one. And to make it interesting, they had three variables. The first variable was they, uh, they gave out a questionnaire to every one of the participants of the study. And the, 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 the questionnaire was, 
Are you in seminary because of some uh, personal fulfillment that you want? Or are you in seminary as a practical tool to help people? That was the gist of the, of the survey. That was the first variable. The second variable was uh, the topic. Some seminarians were given the topic of the good Samaritan parable. Actually, that parable to teach on, and others were given random biblical topics. That was the second variable. And so the first one was the questionnaire, figuring out why they were in seminary. The second one was the topic, whether they were given the Good Samaritan or another random one. And the third variable was about timing. To some of them in the group, they said, oh, wait, um, you're, you're late. You just better hurry up and get over to the building. And other folks in the group, they would say, oh, you know what, you got some time, but why don't you just head over now? So those were the three variables. The questionnaire of why you were studying in seminary, was it for your own personal fulfillment, or was it as a practical tool to help people? The second variable was the topic of study, whether you were going to teach on the Good Samaritan or some random topic. And the third one was timing. And many people were asked, who do you think stopped to help the man in the alley. And the results were very consistent. The ones that came to practically be equipped to help people and the ones that were given the the topic of the Good Samaritan, that these two folks undoubtedly would be the highest percentage of people that would stop to help this groaning man in the alley. Those two made no difference at all. The greatest differentiation in this study was about whether you were rushed or not. Only 10% of the folks that said, were told, you know, you're late already, you better hurry up and get over, only 10% of those people stopped. 62% of those that said, you got some time, but you might as well head over now, stopped to help that man. That was the only characteristic, that was the only differentiation of that entire group of seminarians where there was a marked difference in who stopped and who didn't. Timing, how much time you have. Do you feel rushed? Is your schedule somewhat open? Now, there were many that had a heart that they just wanted to practically help people. They were studying the Good Samaritan, but because they felt that they had no time, they passed right right along this man just to give their talk. And I think it's a, a pointed reminder of the importance of having an openness not only in our hearts, but in our lives as a whole. I mean, especially now, don't we feel so rushed? I mean, we are perpetually 10 minutes late to everything, right? We leave like five minutes, we're 10 minutes late, and then we're we're 10 minutes late to the next one and to the next one, and we seem rushed for all that we're doing. We're squeezing every last minute out of the snooze button before we get to work and everything that we're going to, and we feel as though at times we're just moving quickly from one place to the next, and we have no room to interact with anybody in between those dots, those movement points. And we're going from home to work, work to place, place to here, here to there, and back home. And as we move from place to place, we're almost completely blind to the people that we're interfacing with as we go from here to there. And so these divine detours that I want to talk about today that for us to be able to be led by God, for us to be able to say, yes, I will go here and I will do this, there needs to be an element that, 
there is a capacity in our hearts that we, in our hearts, are not so just cluttered where we don't even have the ability or room to think about anything else or, or something that God would say. That there needs to be room there. That there needs to be the ability to, to hear. And that, that's about the space in our hearts. But there needs to be space in our life as a whole. There needs to be an openness in our schedules where we are able, not just willing, but able to move to places that God would usher us to. I I, I don't know if you're a person that is very uh, open to that and you find yourselves in random places because you felt God was leading you there and you're talking to people because you got impressed on your heart to talk to that person and you're not afraid to take 10 minutes out to speak to an individual or go to a place. I mean, there were times where this was something that was very important to me and I would always, wherever I would be going, I'd be asking God, you know, just for a sense of leading, Lord, would you like me to do something? What is, do you have an assignment for me today? And I remember those, those moments of just always being and, and, and uh, having a sense of anticipation for, for God to lead me a certain way and there are different seasons where I felt as though I had no room for that. I was too busy in my studies of the Bible. I was too busy in leading a church. I was too busy in raising a family that there was no room to think about God. Do you have some place or someone for me to talk to? But there needs to be that space. And for Philip here, he had it. Now, I want to say that there must have been some reservation on Philip's part, to actually go to this road. You'll notice that in our passage, in verse uh, 26, at the end of it, there is an emphatic parenthetical statement. And it was saying that this road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, that this was a desert road. And it separates it out, and it forces you to read it, to let you know the circumstance or the condition of this road. Now, up until now, Philip, as well as this group of early believers, they were dispersed from Jerusalem, and they scattered, and most of them went north to the regions of Samaria. And they were preaching the gospel wherever they went. And you can uh, seem to to find that that there was fruit in their preaching. And as they were making their way back to Jerusalem, to their homes, to the, to the place, now how much time elapsed is not given to us, but for some reason they thought that it was safe to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to home. And Philip here hears the voice of God, feels that conviction, and it's telling him, don't go back home, don't go to Jerusalem, but I want you to go to a desert road. And so this leads me to the first point, that God even leads His people to the desert. This is not a comfortable statement because we don't like the desert. Deserts don't sustain us. They're harsh environments. And they're meant uh, as a place of death, not a place that springs with life. You don't see green in deserts. You don't see a lot of water in deserts. You don't see a lot of animals in deserts. And so deserts are a place that are, are, are very hard and dry. Difficult to survive, and not even thrive, of course. But God even leads His people to those particular places. 
And I say that in light of Philip being led to this road to Gaza. The pastor and theologian John MacArthur said this, There are two roads from Jerusalem to Gaza, and the Spirit commands Philip to take the, sel- uh, the one seldom used. In a sense, I think going to that desert place, it goes against our natural human disposition. Let me take you back to the Old Testament. Abraham, uh, he leaves his hometown in search of this land that God would give him and his descendants. And he travels with his younger nephew, Lot. Their families, their animals, they all just bulged and they grew as they were traveling. And the land was no longer able to sustain these two large growing families. And Abraham, realizing this, goes to his younger nephew, Lot. And he says, there is no need for our herdsmen to to fight and to, to squabble amongst one another Let's part here. I'll let you choose first. And this is uncommon in this particular cultural setting, that the younger one is given preference. But Abraham, believing in the promises of God, gives Lot preference. And he says, okay, Lot, this land, there's more than enough of it. You choose which way you want to go. If you go that way, I'll go this way. If you go that way, I'll go this way. And Lot, of course, he surveys the land. Which one looks the most plush and lush and green? And he chooses that in the valleys of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot says, I will choose that over there. Isn't that natural human disposition to go to the places that are green, not dry? The places that have grass, not sand? And we find in Scripture, though, that all too often God's people, following God's leading, find themselves in desert places. Moses, as he was being pruned to lead God's people out of slavery, he found himself being refined in the deserts of Midian. That even God's people, after they left slavery in Egypt, found themselves wandering in the wilderness before entering a promised land. Jesus, after his baptism, driven into the desert mountains to be tempted for 40 days, even before he began public ministry. That wherever you go in Scripture, you, you seem to see people following God's leading or wanting to do God's will being led to dry places. What is the purpose of that? That is there refinement there? Is there ministry there? That my natural inclination is to walk away from the desert, yet God is driving people there. I think it ought to teach us something about how we should live our lives in the places that we are willing to go. That we should not shun desert roads. That it is on those roads that we ought to learn how to quiet ourselves and open our eyes to the Lord and say, what do you want me to hear and what do you want me to see? What is it that you want for me here? And we need to fight back that natural tendency that says, hot, hot, (laughs) and trying to run away from that space and actually find what God has for us in those dry places. Because I think if we stay in those dry places long enough, we'll find ministry there. We'll find maturity there. We'll find a humble dependency there. 
And all of these things that we can gain in the desert can make us much stronger and give us a better perspective in the fields. And so those desert places serve as a refinement, as a crucible, and even as a place of thriving ministry. And so Philip, he says yes to the Lord. I know all of my friends, and they're all going that way. No one's going on this desert road. I know everyone's going over there, but God is leading me over here. <laughs> I mean, you live in a time, I mean, we don't even like driving 20 miles, right? And I mean, how he got there on this dry space, it's a sacrifice to travel alone in harsh conditions. And yet Philip says, yes, that God must have something for me there. I don't know what that is just yet. And so he says yes to the call and he goes towards the Mediterranean. And he goes towards Gaza and he finds that desert road. And there he stumbles upon probably the only people on that road. Probably a small entourage, at the center of it a chariot. And as he approached this, God was saying, get, get on that chariot. Get up there. And so he hurries up. And as he approaches, he hears somebody reading aloud. And that's common practice in the day, of course. And this person is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And as he approaches, he gets up on there and he listens to this man that is reading. And he asks the question, do you understand what you are reading? And he says, how could I? Someone needs to explain to me. And here he now begins. Can you imagine in that moment all of the dominoes and pieces and, and dots? They're all just linking together right now. They're falling in the right places. And he's beginning to understand in that moment after he hears the response of this eunuch, how would I unless somebody explains it to me? And in that moment, everything is made clear. Have you ever traveled a very difficult road? one that you did almost begrudgingly, and one in which it was very harsh and hard. But there was a moment of clarity at some point in this journey because of something that somebody said, of something that you saw, and all of a sudden, all of the hardships of the travel, all of the hardships of the past days and weeks and months and years, it was all for nothing. It's okay now, because now you came to the place of understanding, ah, this is what I was supposed to get. This is why I traveled this road. This is why I made all of those difficult decisions. It was for this moment. It was for this encounter. And I'm sure you've had moments like that where all of a sudden it evaporates. The hardship does. Because understanding came. Perspective came. And all it took was one comment. All it took was one vision. All it took was one encounter. And then suddenly the pain it was worth it. And for Philip, traveling alone on this road, being by himself on dark nights in the desert, and suddenly stumbling upon a caravan in the middle of this, and sitting on a chariot next to a eunuch, and hearing the words, will you explain what Isaiah is saying here? Suddenly, I can see the crackness of his lips moisten up. I can, I can sense his heart perking a sense of eagerness and anticipation for what this conversation is going to hold. I can sense that as I read. Ah, that's why I spent all these days to get to this road. It was for this one man. 
that this man, God must have a great plan for him. Because he sent me away from my comrades and companions and friends and family, and he brought me to this sparse and dry place. I had a lot of questions traveling here, but in this moment, I get it. And so all we can really do is stay true, persistent, and have enough courage to stay on that journey until we meet that eunuch, so to speak. Until we hear the words that God would have for us on this journey. Because it's there. But I think from experience, I think from my own mental conditions at times, it's too easy to bail out on the journey. It's too easy to get on the fringe of the desert road and say, ah, wait, it looks long. I don't know if I can survive this. And we head back to where we think we should be. And I think it's easy to do that. But the payoff, if I could give that term, the end result, the fruit of staying true to the journey and going to the desert place, because God is driving us there, that the fruit at the end of that is far greater than anything we can accumulate by staying away from those roads. And so Philip does an amazing thing. He travels this road, sits next, next to this eunuch, and what does he do? He simply shares Jesus with him. And that's the second thing that I say. Right? It says, beginning from that scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And there is a, a, a common mistake in evangelism and in preaching and in sharing our faith that I and many people can fall into. And the mistake is telling people what they need to do for God instead of telling them what God has done for them. And you'll notice what Philip was teaching on. He was teaching that Jesus was the Lamb. That's who God was. And what did God do? He was a lamb led to slaughter. And you find that Philip was not preaching duty. He was preaching Jesus. That he wasn't preaching necessarily how to live, but he was preaching relationship with Christ, who he was. And this needs to be the core of how we share our faith. Down the line, in the process of maturity in the Christian faith, there are moments where we do need to tell people the right way to live before God, what God would say is holy. But that's actually, you know, uh, class uh, 201, 301, 401, right? 101 is not that. The beginning starter course, the foundation of the Christian faith is not how we live before God. Christianity 101 is what God has done for us. Who Jesus is. Why He means something. The significance of His life and birth and death. That's the beginning. And that's what Philip does. He preaches Jesus starting from the scroll of Isaiah. I think that should share something and, and teach us something that is so important in our Christian witness. Sharing Jesus with people. And so I begin to round up. Praise team, you guys come back. I, I finish with these two things. And the first is this. Don't focus on 
going places to share Jesus. Like, I'm going to go to that place and share Jesus with them. I'm going to go to church and share the love of God. I'm going to go here and do that. Don't, don't focus on t- going to specific places to share Jesus. Rather, share Jesus wherever you go. And so it's not about saying, okay, this is the place where Jesus will be shared. It's about saying, no, it's right here, actually. And whether I'm on the road or in Samaria or in Jerusalem, whether I'm talking to a eunuch or a Samaritan or a Jew, that I will share and preach Christ. This is what Philip does. This is what the early church was doing. That They just internalized it, and wherever they went, they just spoke of themselves. And I think this is a good reminder, a first one for us as we exit. The second would be this. Don't be afraid of the desert. Uh, That place is not an easy one. Uh, That place, that detour, in the end, is not really a detour. That it's a destination that God would have for us. And let us not leave those desert places without getting everything that God has for us. Because too often when we're in the hot place, we're so frustrated on the inside of being in the desert that we don't have a heart capacity, a schedule capacity, or anything to even think about what God would have for us in that place. Because we're so focused on ourselves, our discomfort. But if we can begin to peel that back and begin to say, okay, It is not comfort that I seek, and it is not discomfort that I'm running away from. Those are all secondary. Those are all on the fringe. that, That should be a marginal issue. The main thing is that God has chosen my life and desires to use my life for something. And He brought me here, and so I will open my eyes and open my heart and my life and my schedule and say, God, what is it that you want? And especially in the busyness of our generation and in our culture, I think this is an important reminder for us to have. That we shouldn't seek just lush places and the best jobs and being surrounded around the, uh, around the greatest people that are always going to give us good stuff. That there are moments and seasons and groups and circumstances and communities that can represent deserts, necessary deserts in our lives. Let us take everything that God has for us in them. Amen.